0: You ask a person what makes him happy. Seldom will you get an answer that states, Well, what makes me happy is testifying of Jesus Christ and his salvation to any and all. Oftentimes, the answers that come back is something else. Sometimes it's, um, Lord, if you will only do this, or if you will only do that. Then I'll be happy, I'll be content, I'll be satisfied. If only I come in possession of this or that. If only I'm married. If only you give me this position or this raise or you name it. But in Paul's case, this very statement made him happy. He considered himself, in fact, fortunate, which clearly stated to his audience that he saw his current situation as a favorable circumstance. Think about that. Even though he was defending himself, having been in prison for more than two years, leading up to this hearing before King Agrippa, Bernice, and Festus once more, he had already uh, testified before Festus, remember Felix, before him, but he saw it as as these, these are favorable circumstances. I'm happy about this. Did you hear what was just said about how Paul perceived his current situation? Did you get that? Do you understand where he was at at this very present this moment in prison having to defend himself against false accusations? His hearing while he's in chains before King Agrippa Bernice and Governor Festus is a happy occasion. In fact, Paul saw it as advantageous, beneficial, helpful, and even get this, it was good. Some people may say that something was wrong with Paul. He was uh, cray-cray. He was fifty-one fifty, right? Give him a psych evaluation and gotta, perhaps he needs to be Locked up in some ward somewhere. But we need to understand that Paul was seeing his life. In the right way. He was seeing his life through a different lens. He was seeing things through God's eyes. Through the lens of the very word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. When you consider your own life. When you make decisions and respond to circumstances, how you respond will determine what your true worldview is, the lens through which you interpret life. It's not so much what you say, it's how you respond to the circumstances that you are faced with that actually screams to the world what your worldview is. D.L. Moody said this, quote, if our circumstances find us in God, we shall find God in all our circumstances, close quote. Well, Paul was very happy that he had the audience he had. That was one of the things that made him happy because Paul knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God had orchestrated this event even though Festus thought that he did. Festus thought, man, I put everything together, this pomp and circumstance, this whole show was put on by Festus. No, it wasn't. God allowed all of that to go on so that King Agrippa, Bernice, Festus, the military leaders, everyone was gathered together in the same place to hear one man. By Paul's words, I am convinced that he interpreted the day correctly and made the most out of a situation that he knew was planned by God. As some of the most prominent people were sitting before him waiting to hear his testimony, they weren't waiting to hear King Agrippa or anyone else. They were waiting to hear from Paul, the prisoner in chains. If our circumstances find us in God, then we shall find God. In all our circumstances. Are you finding God in all of your circumstances? Because we will see them as being. As Paul did. As advantageous circumstances. Beneficial to the advancement. Not of our own will. But of God's will. So let us learn and apply what we learned this morning. As we look at Paul's testimony. Before kings, governors, powerful leaders of the people. Religious leaders. And ranking officials of the military. Think about this. What an audience he had. And it was a captive audience. Let's go back to verse 1. This is where Paul clearly stated that he was happy to make a defense. And so his pleading was, please listen. Listen patiently. Verse 1 says, so Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. You know, I... These were words that Paul uttered and they were written down, but this is scripture. This is God's word. It's right now as if God is pleading with us. Please listen. Listen patiently. Festus had planned and organized this royal event, but we know that God had ultimately orchestrated it all but it was king agrippa who spoke after the introductory comments by festus and addressed paul giving him permission to speak on his behalf and give a defense for the allegations of his accusers as paul stretched out his hand he was making a physical gesture signal, signaling that he was about to speak much like a witness would be called to the witness stand. And as the witness comes to the witness stand, he raises his right hand, puts his left hand on the Bible, and then makes an oath, a vow, to say the the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me, God, right? So he took the stand, made this gesture. And I can imagine everyone went completely silent. And this is where we get a first glimpse at how Paul viewed his present situation. He starts out by saying he was so fortunate to testify before King Agrippa. And Paul implies by saying that he is especially fortunate to testify before King Agrippa because he is familiar with the customs and controversies of the Jews which means he won't have to explain some things in great detail. He was happy about that. But that word especially helps us to understand that we, we cannot miss the fact that this is, this is not the only reason why Paul is happy to testify before King Agrippa. There's, there's more than what is before him, the person of King Agrippa. Because remember that Paul had already appealed to Caesar. It wasn't that he was testifying. He was making a defense for himself to uh, assure himself of victory and freedom. He knew that he was still going to be shackled. He knew that he was still going to Rome to testify before Caesar. There was more that he was happy about. He was happy because this was with the very fulfillment of the prophecy that Jesus had given given him. He was standing before King Agrippa and Festus, not because they had the authority to set him free, because they didn't, they didn't have it at the time, but perhaps Paul had some words that could set them free. This is why Paul pleaded that they listened to him patiently. Again, just keep in mind, he's in prison, he's locked up, he's testifying. This is a hearing. This is not a trial. He's going to be tried before Caesar. These guys, it was just a hearing. That's all it was. So really, the tables were turned. Sometimes we have aggressors, we have people who oppose us, who really uh, just come against us with great fervor, with great passion. And the Lord flips the tables on them because he gives us a platform. He gives us a place to where we can perhaps share something with them that would set them free, not from something earthly, not from something physical, but something spiritual, eternal, eternal condemnation as they remain in their sin and yet they can be free they can be uh, liberated from their condemnation if they simply receive god's grace repent of their sins and put their trust in jesus christ as lord and savior and this is why paul pleaded that they would listen to him patiently is listen how many times are we deeply convicted From the outset, I know where this is going. I know what you're going to say. And instead of having that position, that attitude, perhaps we should just relax. Just wait to hear it all. Acknowledge the gospel. Acknowledge the word that's being shared with you. Then after that, Make a response. Have a response to that. Paul knew that this was what Jesus was referring to when he told Paul that he was a chosen instrument of the Lord to carry his name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, according to Acts chapter 9, verse 15. And Paul was interpreting the current situation as an advantageous circumstance To further God's will and plan. To further the gospel. So, Paul begins his testimony. Verse 4. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived a as a Pharisee and now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day and for this hope I am accused by Jews O king why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead good question God resurrects not difficult for God Not a difficult thing. Paul indeed had been born in Tarsus, but grew up in Jerusalem. Under the tutelage of Gamaliel, he was a highly respected rabbi. Paul was well known, and many could testify that he was discipled in the Jewish customs and that he strictly followed the law according to the views of the Pharisees. And this is important because it was known by all of his accusers, all of them. And it was known by King Agrippa that although the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, they all knew that the Pharisees did. And it was all according to the word of God. Not something that was hidden, it's not something that was was found in the corner somewhere or alluded to. It wasn't a theory, it was fact. It was found in Scripture. Remember that God is the God of the living and not the dead. Let's turn to Luke chapter 20. So hold your place there and go with me to Luke chapter 20, beginning in verse 27. It's interesting because this whole conversation between Jesus and the Sadducees, because remember that it's the Pharisees that believe in the resurrection. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. But yet this was a conversation that was had between the Sadducees and Jesus. Verse 27 says, There came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children, and the second and the third took her, and likewise all seven left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as wife. And Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead Neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him any question. The Sadducees asked. They got the answer, but the scribes answered. The Sadducees were silenced. They had nothing to come back with because they knew that the scriptures were correct. I refer to that, those verses because it speaks of the fact that resurrection is not only possible, but it was prophesied about, and it was fulfilled as the firstborn being Jesus, and therefore could speak to you and I that it is not only possible, but it is certain That we too are raised with him. And one day we will be in the father's presence. In all of his glory. So Paul said this. That uh, this is why he was on trial. For the argument of the resurrection. And yet his accusers knew that this was accurate. According to God's word. So he's asking now, Paul's asking, so why would it be so difficult for anyone who knows the word to think that God doesn't raise the dead, that it's not possible? Why would there be any doubt? There should be any doubt. You know God's word. You know that this is true. For God is the God not of the dead, but of the living, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're alive and well. They're with the Lord. But then from that, Paul dials it back a bit. He does so to perhaps relate to them and explain where he was and how he got to where he is now in his position in Christ and his declaration of the gospel. Now, So he, he brings them to that place of knowing resurrection in Jesus Christ, but then he brings it back. But but for the grace of God, there go I. So he begins in verse 9, saying, I myself was convinced that I thought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Oh, this is his confession. This is where he was at. You think you've done too much? You think God can't reach me. I've just done too much. Some people perhaps who are watching right now on Facebook Live or on YouTube are perhaps thinking that very same thing. You have no idea what I've done. Well, the Lord does, and yet even then, he extends to you an offer of grace because he wishes that none should perish, and that all should come to repentance. What Paul is saying is that he was in error. He's saying at this very moment, I once was blind. Paul tells him that at one time he also was convinced that he had the duty to oppose those who followed Jesus of Nazareth. Just as they were doing it at that moment. The enemy was relentless. They pursued Paul. Remember, they went from Jerusalem and now they're in Caesarea. Uh, bring your accusers. And uh, boy, they did. But they were all. They all had this false narrative. These were false accusations. And Paul was persecuting those of the church, imprisoning them, and, and get this, even putting them to death. Paul was zealous to punish them. He would punish them often. That was, that was what he set himself out to do, even while they worshiped in synagogues. Imagine that's why the fear of Saul of Tarsus came upon everyone. Just the mention of Saul. Can you imagine? Saul of Tarsus is at the door. I know what's going to happen now, right? There was Saul was no joke. He he was a man who was just on a mission and he persecuted the church and he did it violently. Paul would confess that he was ruthless. He would torture them because he believed that they were blaspheming God in what they considered what he considered to be false worship of God through Jesus of Nazareth Paul confessed that he would even drive them out of town causing them to flee to other foreign cities Oh for him that was a badge of honor oh, I caused a whole group of Christians those of the way to flee this city and go somewhere else all because they feared me Paul was a proud man. And at this point, I can't help but think that Paul knew that even this, as he confessed this, as this was his testimony, that his actions actually caused the gospel to advance to the ends of the earth. What Paul, or what Saul, meant for evil, right? Saul of Tarsus, God meant for good. Oh, that perhaps the the people of God scatter, but as they scatter in different ways, different directions, oh, the gospel is furthered. According to 1 Corinthians 15.9, Paul regretted his actions. In 1 Corinthians 15.9, it says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. So we know he had regret for that. But Paul was letting them know that he was once where his accusers were at that very moment. He was relentless and so are they. And it was while Paul was in a raging fury to persecute the Christians and stop them that he one day traveled to Damascus. And on the road, everything changed. Verse 12 says in this connection... I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand upon your feet for I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Made right in Christ. I once was blind, but now I see. Paul was not only endorsed by the Sanhedrin, but he was also commissioned by them to officially persecute and stop the Christians from furthering the gospel of Jesus Christ and their worship with impunity. But while he was on his way. A light shone upon him. So bright it was in the middle of the day. At midday. It was so bright. It made him fall to the ground. And he was blinded. Only an illustration physically of what was true of him spiritually. Even though. He thought he saw he did not, for he had no understanding. Oh, to pity the man who has no understanding. I once was that man. And he heard this voice call to him in the Hebrew language Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? You see, it was a personal appeal to Paul by God, not because God did not know why, for he knows the heart, he knows the intentions of the heart, he knows the, motive, the motives of the person, but it was to reveal to Paul his sin and for Paul to confess that sin. That's why God asks Adam, where are you? Not because, oh Adam, you're hiding so well that I I cannot see you. Amazing job that you're doing there. We think that we are hiding ourselves by doing things in the dark, sometimes literally, right? Or when no one is watching, we do certain things. Well, having integrity before the Lord is doing the same thing before others and in the dark and by yourself. Well, for Saul at this time, he was needing to confirm who it was that was speaking to him. He had a good idea. He said, who are you, Lord? And Jesus answered Paul, saying, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He didn't have to say it twice. Paul knew. See, the Lord doesn't have to speak to us twice. We're We're the knuckleheads that are hard-hearted we're prideful we're stubborn oh tell me again who you are i I didn't quite hear the preacher the the sermon wasn't quite clear who you are and how are you calling me to salvation it calls you to salvation by grace through faith in jesus christ there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved jesus said i am the way the truth and life no one comes to the father except through me So if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Clear? You don't have to be told twice. The ball's in your court. Jesus did not have to repeat this to Saul. He knew exactly who was talking to him. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Jesus described paul's actions by giving him a picture of of a sheep kicking against a sick a stick with a sharp point that's what a goat is. Oh, is it difficult for you to kick against the goats because that's what you're doing as you persecute me. You're not hurting me. you know you're not hurting the stick. The sheep is not hurting the stick, nor the shepherd, but it sure does hurt the sheep. That goat is used that's why He goes you in the direction you ought to go, kind of pricks you a little bit. And so the Lord asked Saul. How does it feel? Because you're kicking against the goads. As Paul persecuted the church, he was persecuting Jesus and his actions only served to hurt Paul. He was not succeeding in furthering his agenda, no matter how hard he worked at it. No matter how zealous he was, no matter how zealous the atheist is, no matter how zealous the persecutor of the church is, he does not succeed. She does not succeed. For the gates of hell shall not prevail against her, against the church. That's a promise of God. That's what Jesus said to Peter. Jesus didn't have a long speech for Paul on that day, but went from confronting him with his sin to calling on him to serve as a witness of Jesus to lead people to salvation. Immediately. Confess your sin, come to repentance. I'm calling you to serve. It's time to serve. If you guys have been praying about serving the Lord, just take note. Take note, right? This is God's will that you may come to repentance, belief in Jesus Christ. And what's the next step? Serve, to serve him. And Jesus told Paul the reason he appeared to him in verse 16. It says, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. So he tells him to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. So he tells him the reason. This is why I'm appearing to you right now. It may seem as if the moment your sins are revealed to you and you see them for what they are and how they are the reason why you are separated from God, you sense that you've been knocked off your feet. I remember the moment that I fully realized the weight of my sin, that I realized, I understood that it was my sin that separated me from the Father. It knocked me off my feet. But listen, you've been off your feet and defeated all the while as you remain in your sin and condemned without Christ. We've been off our feet. We just realize at the moment that we understand that our sin has separated us from the Father. That's all. But the Lord desires that none should perish. And Jesus tells us, rise and stand to your feet. Rise and stand to your feet. As Jesus appointed Paul as servant and witness of Jesus to lead people to repent and confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, so Jesus has also appointed you and I as servants, as witnesses, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Jesus Christ. That's you and I. We have the, uh, this message of reconciliation, the, the ministry of reconciliation. There's, there's nothing we have that's more important than that. Nothing. Nothing at all. Paul's testimony, I believe, was riveting. Riveting. People were just hanging on every word. King Agrippa, Bernice, Festus, all of them once again. Can this be true? Paul knew it was true. As Paul repented of his sins, and he had his eyes opened, turning from darkness to light, from Satan to God, and having received forgiveness of his sins, and had now come to know God's grace by faith in Jesus of Nazareth. So he desired his hearers to do the same, to believe. Verse 19 says, therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and through it all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I've had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what, he, but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Repent and turn to God. He's proclaiming light. Paul testified that he was only being obedient. I'm just being obedient to that which God has declared to me. On his calling upon my life, and I wasted no time there in Damascus, in Jerusalem, throughout all Judea, to the Gentiles. He said that he called on everyone to repent and turn to God, and along with that, to live accordingly. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We should have fruit in our lives that reflects a salvation that we've come to know. A relationship with God. There should be evidence of our faith in him. Evidence of our profession of faith. Paul made a statement of provision and protection also that had been provided to him by God But get this, it wasn't for his own benefit. It was to further the gospel. Oh, God made a way. He's protected me. He's led me. He's guided me. And some would say he guided you here. Really? You've lost everything. You've lost your position, prestige, your authority. Your place before the people. Who are you, Paul? You're in chains. You're testifying before King Agrippa, Bernice, and Festus, and everyone else. You've been provided for. You've been protected. Paul knew that these circumstances were advantageous because it was was all to further the gospel. Just as he stated before, and it was for this reason that he was also in chains, but it served God's purpose and plan. Is that how you see your circumstances, no matter what? Oh, how important that is instead of hanging your head low, we would be seeking for God's next move. What, what do you have for me here? What, what is it that I am to do here just to perhaps remain faithful to you in the midst of these troubles and trials, these tribulations? I think so. I believe so. Because the word tells us to be steadfast and immovable in Christ Jesus. Paul explained that what he was doing was not blasphemous because he was obediently following what God had commanded him to do and was all in line with what is found in God's law. The writings that have been studied by the Jews or the writings of Moses and the prophets. You all know it. King Agrippa, you know it. They know it. They've all studied it. You perhaps have studied it some. Some. But they all know it. Paul preached the same powerful message over and over and over and over again. That according to the scriptures, Jesus had died, was buried, and resurrected. Defeated sin and death. And that anyone who repented of their sins and believed in Jesus Christ. Would know forgiveness of sins and victory over death in Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 1. The apostle Paul in writing to the Corinthians says... And he goes on from there. But he's speaking this, these words. It, it, you can look it up. Is what he was telling even the disciples. Those Christians in Corinth. That's the same thing he's telling King Agrippa and everyone in the audience here in Caesarea. You can search the scriptures. It's all there. It's all according to scripture. This salvation Paul testified is for all. This was Paul's testimony, and he gave it clearly and concisely. Verse 24, And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. But I am speaking true and rational words, for the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God, that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Those are words of a confident man, a man who cannot be shaken. What shakes us? Well, what what paralyzes? What brings us to a a point of just closing our mouths? He's simply speaking what is true. And this is where Paul calls for a response. What the world sees as crazy and impossible, God has made possible. And the way to being reconciled to the Father is only by faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, "I am the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the Father except through me." According to John fourteen six, in Acts four four twelve says, "And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved." Romans 10, 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now here, as we see Festus and King Agrippa and these things that are being said, there's this response. It seems like Festus is is especially being convicted. There's this conviction, and then the King Agrippa pipes up, and uh, he says a few things and very short, but it's all conviction. These are statements that come from a heart of conviction. And he fights it, that is Festus, by accusing Paul of being crazy. But Paul knew that he was in his right mind. And if both Festus and King Agrippa knew scripture, then they would know that Paul was speaking nothing but truth, that which was accurate. And so did his Jewish audience, whoever was there. It could all be verified by searching the scriptures. It wasn't done in a corner, is what he said. It's all there. Look it up for yourself. But what we see here is that Paul's desire became what God's desire was all along in what it is today. Today, it's the same. If you're here and you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and you don't know salvation... In Him, confess your sins, repent. That means turn and believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and come within you and will make His home within you. He'll give you a new perspective. A hope that cannot be shaken. A purpose to life that nothing and no one can give you. A glory that awaits you. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's passion became Paul's passion. To see people come to repentance, including King Agrippa, Bernice, Festus, and all who were in the audience. Well, we don't see at the moment Any one of them come to faith. But they pass judgment in Paul's case. Paul was hoping that God would not pass final judgment on them. That they would accept perhaps God's final judgment on their sin as Jesus paid for their sins completely on the cross. Verse 30, as we conclude... Then the king rose, and the governor, and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, This man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Deemed, quote-unquote, not guilty, if they only knew. King Agrippa concluded that Paul was not guilty of anything deserving of death or even imprisonment. Had he not appealed to Caesar, we would have set him free. What they didn't realize is that Paul had been freed by Jesus on the road to Damascus. It was done. Even though the world found him guilty of things they made up, he had known, you see, the forgiveness of sins, and he desired that all would know that freedom because it is eternal and is a hope that cannot be taken away by anyone. It's not given by a person, therefore it cannot be taken away. It's a free gift of God. It can't be taken away. Paul desired that they would know this freedom. Whether it be a short or long time that a person is convinced of the gospel of Jesus Christ makes no difference. To repent, to confess him as Savior and Lord is really all that matters. Even if you've listened over and over and over to the gospel, today's a day of salvation. Today's a day that the Lord has ordained for you to come to salvation because that's what he desires. Tomorrow's promise to no one. Paul's imprisonment, his sham hearing, and his wicked accusers are actually all setting him up to witness to kings, queens, Gentiles, and Jews alike. We always battle some of the things that are happening around us and to us. And yet what we really need to get down to is, is to interpret the times, the moment, the circumstances Through the eyes of God. So that we may take full advantage. We may take full advantage. Of fulfilling God's will in that particular moment. These were advantageous circumstances to Paul. Why? Because he had a heavenly perspective. A heavenly perspective. You too will see difficult circumstances In this light, if you are found in Christ. Conditional, though, if you're found in Christ. If not, if you find yourself worrying, burdened, overwhelmed, anxious, despondent. I can tell you it's because you have your eyes on the wrong thing. It's because you have your eyes on the wrong person. Perhaps someone else you find yourself angry or jealous or envious or bitter or whatever, it's because you're holding on to something that God didn't design for you to hold on to. He says, cast your burdens upon me, for I care for you. But the only way we're going to do that is if we believe his word and actually do that. We take these concerns, these worries, these anxieties, all of this, and we cast them upon the Lord. Why? Because he is our Lord. If he's not your Lord... And today, I pray, I plead that you come to that saving knowledge. If you've walked away from the Lord and turned your back on Him, may today be the day of recommitment. Waste no more time. The time is short. If you look around, the days are dark, they're evil. Why would you wait another moment? Why? I, I don't know. Because as you harden your heart toward the offer of grace through Jesus Christ. As you harden your heart. It becomes more and more difficult for you to be convicted. And the Bible tells us that we can actually have our conscience seared to the point to we actually have no feeling whatsoever. To the conviction of the holy spirit that's a dangerous place if you're confident in yourself i pray that god breaks you because the most important thing that you can do this side of heaven is to confess your faith in jesus christ again i'll close with this D.L. moody said if our circumstances find us in god we shall find god in all our circumstances you know salvation and how are you dealing with the circumstances That finds you do they find you in god heavenly father we are truly grateful for the grace that you have shown to us i ask lord that you would convict and bring to salvation those who do not know you that perhaps this morning this very moment lord there are people here present that um, that want to completely surrender to you. With our eyes closed and our heads bowed, I would ask that if anyone here would like to proclaim, declare that Jesus is your Lord and Savior for the first time, or a recommitment to the Lord that perhaps just My eyes are open just so that I can agree with you and say amen. Would you raise your hand? Because I'd like to pray for you. Anyone who would like to recommit, God bless you. Recommit your life to the Lord or come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved anyone would anyone else like to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ right now this very moment is the time to do it Lord I ask your blessing upon those who have raised their hands Lord whether it be a recommitment or a first time surrender Lord, I ask that you would bless them, Father, fill them with your Holy Spirit, that they would be led and guided by your Spirit into all truth, that they would be strengthened, that they would have, Lord, a joy that can only be received and possessed by the one who is in Christ, knowing that glory awaits them. And so, Father, we thank you for your word because it doesn't return void. It does its effective work. May that be the case with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.